Scripture tonight will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Good evening and welcome again to our services tonight. We're very thankful for your presence. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. We are always happy to have the opportunity to welcome those who are visiting. If you are visiting, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. It might be the case that you are looking for a church home. We would encourage you to consider the work here. We are always grateful to have new families join hands with us. And we want to encourage you, if you're looking for a church home, please consider us. I know the elders would be more than happy to talk to you, answer any questions that you might have. We're going to be looking at Hebrews, the 11th chapter, in our study tonight. The thrust of our study tonight will accentuate the theme, buying in to a life of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is a great chapter in the Bible. And typically we talk about it being faith's hall of fame. We read of individuals who lived by faith. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13, not only did they live by faith, but they died in faith. There are a lot of people in our world today that sadly do not believe. They lack faith. And yet what sets us apart from so many in our world is that we do believe, we are people of faith. And what is it that, that inspires us and encourages us and motivates us to live the Christian life? Well, it's faith. And ultimately, our expectation is to one day be with God in heaven. So tonight, we're going to look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And there are some principles that I want us to consider as we think about our subject, buying into a life of faith, because I believe that the first thing that we have to do is understand the essentiality of faith. Faith is absolutely essential in the scheme of things. If we're going to be pleasing to God, if we're going to live a life that would ultimately bring us into the presence of Almighty God where we can spend eternity, then we have to have faith. And so we begin by talking about the essentiality of faith. And there are some principles of faith that are set forth in the scriptures. First and foremost, we talk about the importance of faith. And look, if you would, at what the writer said in verse 6, the passage read a moment ago. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me begin by asking the question, what is the basis for your faith? What's the basis of my faith? Well, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is really a response to what we have in Revelation. God in his word has set before us certain valuable truths. And those of us, we hear these truths, we read about these truths, and as a result of that, we develop a system of faith. We develop faith in the Lord. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, 
In Ephesians 1.13, he said, In whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And so faith is a result of hearing the word of God or, of, or it's a result of reading the word of God. We take this book, we read it, we study it, we meditate upon it, and ultimately we come to an understanding of who God is, the claims of God, and we develop a system of faith. Now, just as faith is important, there are some instructions that I believe are set forth in the scriptures that relate to faith. Let me just suggest a couple of things. First of all, the Bible tells us we are to live by faith. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about how God's word is the power that leads to salvation. In Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In verse 17, he said, it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now again, we talk about faith and the, the importance of faith. There is a system of faith that produces individual faith. That system of faith is described by Jude as having been once and for all delivered. The New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, 66 books in the Bible, each and every book inspired by Almighty God. And the books in the Bible provide us with a system of faith. And then we develop our own individual faith. Now, as Paul points out, we are to live by faith. Not only are we to live by faith, but the Bible says we are to walk by faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. Many people in our world today, if they can't see it, touch it, taste it, feel it, they don't believe it. Well, you and I, we have a system of faith. We have faith because of the word, that is because of the gospel, because of the Bible. And that faith is something that we cherish. We believe very strongly in those things that have been revealed unto us in the scriptures. A couple of things along these lines as we talk about walking by faith and living by faith. Did you know that we worship God by faith? Look if you would at verse four of Hebrews chapter 11. We read about Abel. And this takes us back to Genesis, the fourth chapter. Cain and Abel, they were the sons of Adam and Eve. And the Bible says in verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. Now you well know the story that Cain offered unto God from the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel brought forth from the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. Somebody asked the question, what was the difference? Why did God accept one and reject the other? Well, because one was offered by faith and the other was not. Again, we ask the question, how does faith come? The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The inference is that God instructed Cain and Abel what to offer. And so Abel complied, Cain did not. So we worship God by faith. Now Jesus talked about worship in John 4 verse 24. Jesus said, God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is the audience 
in our worship. When we come together on the first day of the week, whenever we come together to worship, we are in the presence of Almighty God. He is the one that is the audience. We're simply the assembly. Jesus said, God is spirit, and they that worship him, that's us, the assembly. And then he goes on to say, we must worship him. That's the absolute. We are to worship him in spirit, that is, with the right attitude, and then in truth, that is, by his authority. Well, how do we know about the authority of Christ? Because of what's written, because of what has been revealed unto us. As Paul would say, whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is, by his authority. So we worship by faith, and then also we work by faith. Drop down and look at verse 7. In verse 7, we read about Noah. Noah, again, taking us back to the book of Genesis. The Bible says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. God had decreed he was going to destroy the world, man whom he had created, and he did that. However, he saved Noah and his household. God instructed Noah, Noah to build an ark of gopher wood. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 at verse 22, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. God is the one that regulates our worship. He regulates our works. We talk about the works that we engage in. The Bible outlines the various works of the church and we talk about this system of faith and then we take our individual faith and we link that faith to our works and we serve the Lord. Read, if you would, James chapter 2 where James talks about the fact that faith and works complement one another. And I would point out that there are works that are included in our salvation. There are works that are excluded in our salvation. But I want you to think with me in the second place about the endearment of faith. And this has to do with the passion, the conviction that is a result of our belief system. Look, if you would, at verse 1 of chapter 11. Here's what the writer said. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the confidence of things not seen. Did you know that faith gives substance? It gives reality. It gives conviction to life. There are some things that you and I, as members of the body of Christ, as Christians, there are some things that we believe. There ought to be a, a, a system of faith within us that is unshakable. There ought to be some things that you and I believe so strongly in that there is no way anyone could wrest them away from us. Let me just cite for you some things that you and I believe. We talk about faith being the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is, faith builds conviction. It builds passion in us. And I want to just share with you some things that you and I, we ought to believe. And we ought to believe them regardless of what people say, regardless of what people think. First and foremost, I would submit unto you that we believe God is. Look again at chapter 11, verse 6. Listen to what the writer said. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Everything that you and I believe about God comes from where? Can we look at, at nature, at his creation, and come to an understanding that there is an all-powerful God that brought this into existence? Absolutely. The Hebrew writer said, every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. So we can look at nature, at creation, and we can come to an understanding there's a God. Design demands what? A designer. But then we talk about revelation. Revelation introduces us to whom? It introduces us to God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. That's a statement. That's a fact. God is. When I think about God, I think about his presence, his power, his provisions, all of the many blessings associated with the phrase, he is. The Bible tells us that God is sovereign. He is over all. He is through all. He is in all. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 6. We talk about the wisdom of God. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, the apostle Paul said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You and I, we believe in an almighty God. We believe in God. We believe in God the creator. We believe in God the sustainer. We believe in God the redeemer. These are things that we believe in and no one can wrest those beliefs away from us. Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 1 said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. The disciples that followed the Lord that were a part of his earthly ministry, they believed in Jehovah God. And you and I would do well to develop a strong belief system in God. We believe that God is. And then secondly, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is the Savior of the world. There are a lot of people in our world today, if you were to ask them on the street, what do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Let me tell you what, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Was he a great preacher? You better believe he was. Did he bring about social changes in the world in which we live, past and present? You know he did. Was he compassionate? Absolutely. Did he care about people? Of course he did. But first and foremost, he was and is the son of the living God. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then also I think about what John recorded in John chapter 6, the gospel according to John. In that context, Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven. Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him after hearing this great declaration. Jesus then asked the apostles, the disciples, will you also go away? And Simon Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Then listen to him. He said, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Did you hear what he said? We have come to believe. 
We talk about our faith. We have come to believe. How did we come to believe it? Because of the Bible. You and I, we have come to believe that Jesus is the son of the living God. Every claim made about Jesus in the scriptures, it is true from start to finish, from beginning to end. And then we talk about him being the savior of the world. There are a lot of people from the east coast to the west coast, from the north to the south, from pole to pole, if you please, from coast to coast. When they talk about salvation, they may look to this person, to that person, to this religion, to that religion. Well, I believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the only savior of the world. John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, we have come to believe, we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The angel of God said in the long ago about the Jesus that was to be born of the Virgin Mary, that Mary would bring forth the Son. He said, you will call his name Jesus. It is he that shall save his people from their sins. If you and I are going to be saved, we're only going to be saved through one person. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we... Pause and think about Jesus as the Savior of the world. Listen to what he said in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Salvation is not in Allah. It's not in the God of Islam. Salvation is not in Buddhism. It's in Christ. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We believe that God is. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. There's a third thing we believe. We believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of the living God and that it is our sole guide in matters of faith and practice. What I think about something really doesn't matter. What other people in our world think about matters of religion really don't matter. What matters is, what does the Bible say? You ever wondered why we have the scriptures? Why would God give us 66 books? 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. The 39 books in the Old Testament are given for our learning. That's what Paul said in Romans 15 verse 4, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. But then the New Testament, it's called the law of Christ. Galatians 6, verse 2. It's described as the perfect law of liberty in James chapter 1, verse 25. This is the book that's going to one day judge us. If this book's going to judge me, if it's going to judge my heart, my life, then I better know it. Paul said every scripture inspired of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. I do not believe that this book that we hold in our hands is the product of man. Mankind didn't originate it. Mankind wrote it, but he wrote it by what? By inspiration. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Peter would say that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, in other words, they were born along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired them to write this book. That's what Jesus would say in John 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. We have everything that we need to know about life and godliness. Why is the Bible so important? Why do I believe in this book that we call the Bible? 
Why do I try to live by it every day? Because here's what Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath the one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. This is the book that's going to judge us. This is the book that is our guide from earth to heaven. The psalmist said in the long ago, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. How well do you know the word of God? Do you meditate on this book day and night as the psalmist did? Do you love it above silver and gold? Is it sweeter to your mouth than honey? Is it something that you cherish? We talk about developing conviction and being passionate about what we believe. Well, there are some things that we ought to believe. Our faith ought to be such that no one could rest these important principles away from us. And then let me suggest in the fourth place that we believe Jesus Christ bought and purchased the church with his blood and that the saved are in the one body. I believe in the church of Christ. I believe that the church of Christ is a divine institution. It was not built by man. Mankind did not dream up the church. Mankind did not originate the church. Mankind did not found the church. The church that I'm a member of was founded by one person. That's the Son of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, and I also say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. That is singular and possessive in nature. The church doesn't belong to me. It didn't belong to Alexander Campbell. It didn't belong to any man. It doesn't belong to any man. It belongs to one person. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we talk about the importance of the church. Did you know that the church cost Jesus his blood? Paul said in Acts 20, verse 28, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. How much did Christ love the church? Well, the Bible says, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. For people who have the idea that the church is an unimportant entity, that the church really doesn't matter. You don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. Listen, that is an affront to the very Son of God. Jesus died and purchased the church with his blood. If you're going to be saved, you have to be saved where? In Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. How do you get into Christ? You're baptized into Christ. Galatians 3, verse 27. When you're baptized into Christ, you are then placed in the one body. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. Well, do I have to be a member of the church to go to heaven? Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 23, and he is the savior of the body. If you're not in the body, if you're not in the church, you're not saved. If you're not in Christ, you're not among the redeemed. You've not been cleansed from sin. Do I believe that? Absolutely. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that would cause me to believe otherwise. Why do I believe so strongly that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood? Because I can read it right here in black and white. I can give you book, chapter, and verse. That's what the Bible says. Not what I say. It's not what somebody else said. It's what the word of the living God says. Now, if somebody else echoes this same sentiment, you know what I think? I think they echo the same thing because they read it from the same place I did. They went to the source 
That's the Bible, the word of the living God. And then there is a fifth thing that we believe. We believe in the hope of heaven and the horrors of hell. Do I believe in heaven? Absolutely. Do you know why I try to live a faithful life in Christ? Because I want to go to heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you believe in heaven? Are you living in such a way so that one day you'll go home to be with God? Listen again to Jesus. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. All of us here tonight, we believe in heaven. We say we believe in heaven. Now, we may not be living like we believe in heaven, but we believe in heaven. Do we want to go to heaven? Only a fool would not want to go to heaven. All of us want to go to heaven. The Bible talks about the beauty of heaven. The Bible says that heaven is a place that is free from the tears and the heartaches and the pains of life. It's immune to death itself, according to Revelation 21, verse 4. I believe in heaven. I believe that you and I, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Not only do I, do I believe in heaven, but I think that you and I, as members of the body of Christ, we ought to believe that we're going to heaven. If somebody asks us on the street corner, do you know today that you're saved? We ought to be able to say, absolutely. And we ought to be able to ask them, do you know if you're saved? Do you know if you're going to heaven? How do I know that I'm going to heaven? How do I know that I'm saved? Because I've done what this book says to do. If I've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is come to Christ in simple trusting faith, turned from a life of sin through repentance, confessed the name of Christ, been immersed in a watery grave of baptism, then I have been added to the one body, the church. If I'm in the church, the Bible says that Christ is the savior of the body. And the Bible says that I have the hope of life eternal. John said that he wrote these things so that we might know that we have eternal life. In 1 John 5, verse 13, can I know that I'm saved? Absolutely. As long as I'm walking in the light, as John talks about in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, I have the assurance that the blood of Christ is constantly cleansing me from sin. Not only do I believe in the hope of heaven, but I believe in the horrors of hell. Why do I preach the gospel? Because I want to see people obey the truth and be saved. Because I don't want to see people lost and and. I don't want to see people that one day are separated from Almighty God forevermore. You ever thought about the horrors of hell? Most of us, I, I, I would assume that most of us are of reasonable intelligence. Every member of the church that I know, if he or she is honest, would say they want to go to heaven. And all of them will tell you unequivocally they don't want to go to hell. Here's the tragedy. There are some people in the church, they believe in heaven, but they act like they don't believe in hell because they're living in such a way so that if they, if they were to die, they'd lose their soul eternally. In Matthew chapter 25 at verse 46, Jesus said, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. He's talking about the unrighteous. He's talking about those who were not faithful to his cause. They weren't ministering in his name. But he said, the righteous, they shall 
go forth into eternal life. There is no way that you and I can describe, I don't think, verbally, the true horrors of hell. None of us ought to want to go to hell. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I believe strongly in heaven, but I believe just as strongly in hell. And I believe that unless people comply with the blood-sealed covenant of the Son of God and live according to this book, please hear me. If people aren't walking according to truth, they will face the wrath of Almighty God. The Hebrew writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All the writer was saying is, you don't want to die unprepared to meet your God. One day you and I will bow in the presence of Almighty God. And the real question is, were we faithful? Were we among the redeemed? Wouldn't it be sad to hear the Lord say, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels? Let me tell you what would even be more heartbreaking. Not for me to lose my soul, but for my children to lose their soul or my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren. No man is an island unto himself. You and I, we can be an influence for good. Not only do we want to go to heaven, we want to take those around us to heaven. Now, I understand that when children get to a certain age, they make their own decisions. And once they move out of the house, they're on their own, and we don't control them. But while they're in the home, we want to lay the foundation. We want to do everything that we can to instruct them in the paths of righteousness so that when they get out on their own, they have a rock-solid faith. And nobody, not a college professor, not a friend, not a relative, there's nobody that can wrest that faith away from them. Do your children have that kind of faith? And then I would suggest in the sixth place, that we believe in the privilege of prayer and the presence of God in our lives. One of the great things about being a Christian is I know that I have the ears of an all-powerful, all-knowing God. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. You and I, we can approach the throne of God 24-7 and guess what? God hears our prayers. We have the presence of God on a daily basis. There's nowhere you and I can go to escape the presence of God. Read Psalm 139. The psalmist there basically concluded, there is nowhere that we can escape the presence of the all-seeing eyes of Jehovah God. The Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And Peter would say, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. Listen, I have a father in heaven who loves me, who cares for me, who is interested in my welfare, who delights in my prayers, who wants me to one day be with him in heaven. He's concerned about my plight here on earth and he will see me through from earth to heaven. I believe that. So these are some things that we ought to believe. And if you don't believe these things, I encourage you strongly, get in this book, develop a faith system, Get to the point where you believe God is. Get to the point where you believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. 
Get to the point where you believe this book is the inspired word of the living God. Get to the point where you believe Jesus purchased the church and that the saved are in it. Get to the point where you believe in heaven and hell. Get to the point where you believe in the privilege of prayer and the presence of God in your life. There's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. This has to do with the endurance of faith. When we talk about the endurance of faith, we're really stressing the perseverance that is to accompany our Christian life here on earth. The Hebrew writer would tell us in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that we are to run with endurance, run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen, life is not easy. I don't care if you are a spiritual giant, you're going to have problems in this life. You're going to face setbacks and trials and tribulations. You're going to face hardships. You're going to have persecutions and afflictions. And so what you've got to do is dig in and say, I'm in this thing for the long haul. Two things along these lines. First of all, there has to be the resolve of faith. Let me call attention to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. Listen to what the Bible says about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now listen to him. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We talk about resolve. Endurance, perseverance. The devil is going to do everything he can to distract and to disrupt your faith. What we've got to do is develop a strong resolve in the Lord. Listen again to what is said about Moses. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. What do we say about faith? Faith, faith gives substance and reality to things not seen. It, it gives substance to life. It breeds conviction in life. You will never make it to the finish line if you do not have resolve. If you don't have the kind of faith that says, look, I may get knocked down, but I'm going to get right back up and keep trudging forward. Here's what Paul said, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. So there has to be the resolve of faith and then there is the reward of faith. Back up and look again at verse 25. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the, the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now note, for he looked to the reward. There's got to be something beyond this veil of tears. There's got to be something more to life than the passing pleasures of sin. Now we talk about buying into a life of faith. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they can't see beyond today. For the, for the fact, I guess the fact of the matter is, they can't see beyond the next minute, the next hour. But you and I, we see him who is invisible. We have faith in Almighty God, and we understand that there is something beyond this veil of tears. What is that something? It's called eternity. You ever thought about what Moses turned his back on? 
Moses had been schooled in all the wisdom of Egypt. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. He had the world at his fingertips. And what did he do? He turned his back on all of that because he looked to that reward. I want to encourage us to get in the Christian life, to get in the Christian race, and to stay in it. To persevere, to have an enduring spirit. I said at the onset of our lesson, when you read Hebrews chapter 11, you read of men and women who live by faith. Verse 13 says, they died in faith. You and I, one day, we're going to step out into eternity. The Lord may come before we die. If that be the case, then we'll go home to be with him forevermore. But if we come to the end of the road here on earth, where will we spend eternity? How strong is your faith? On one occasion, it was the question or the statement was made to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Some folks need a stronger faith. Some need to develop a faith. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a member of the body of Christ. Could we encourage you to come to Jesus? To believe that he is the son of God and that he has the power to save you from sin. Why not do what they did on Pentecost Day? Here's what they did. They repented of every sin. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins so that all their sins could be washed away, Acts 2.38. When they did that, God then added them to the church. That's the institution where all the saved reside today. And then once you do that, you're on, you're on your way to heaven. You've got to live faithfully, but you can do that because God, he has equipped us so that we can live and serve him acceptably. If you're here tonight, you're not a faithful member of the body of Christ, as we always do, we beg, we plead with you. Come home to the Lord. Sometimes I wonder about people who are in the body of Christ I'm talking about baptized individuals who aren't faithful. And the question that I thought about today, what happened? It may be the case that your faith is not where it ought to be. You're not what you ought to be. And I guess my question to you, what happened? What happened in your life to derail you from serving the Lord? Would you come as we stand and sing?